0: Gaming MBS, episode 147, dropping July 4th, 2017. Happy birthday, Murka! Welcome to Gaming MBS, a tabletop RPG, <clears throat> excuse me, podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean.
1: And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. Glad to have you all here. Oh, and... This is going to drop on uh, July 4th, July. 4th of July, 2017, so happy birthday, America, and uh, Canada that. Day. I know you did, but Canada, oh. I had to say it, and Canada Day was not that long ago either. I think like a day or two ago, so uh, happy birthday, Canada, so that was pretty cool. We got a lot of cool, cool Canadian folks We li- listened to us. So
0: I heard what they do up there on uh, their Ca- Canada Day is they all buy new hockey sticks.
1: Um, I believe there is a lot of uh, poutine, really good beer, uh, gaming, hockey, and uh, I I think Stefan was probably no doubt Stefan was grilling steaks. Probably Mo, I would bet he was eating and drinking some amazing food and beers as well, and gaming because it's Mo. Yeah. Oh, and Eric uh, Lamoureux. Oh God, I bet he was he was partaking, having a good time. Man. Anyway, good people.
0: Yeah. And even the ones we didn't mention, we don't maybe know you by name. Happy Canadian Day. Exactly. So okay. now we're going to have to say that for every country, like every country's little holiday, because we don't want to isolate anybody.
1: Ah, shit. There we go. <laughs> we'll have the holiday show one day a year. We'll just thank everybody for listening for whatever country. Anyway.
0: Yeah, that, that's not a bad policy.
1: So announcements, Um, we'll do the fast one real quick. Obviously, <clears throat> GameholeCon is indeed coming, Game GameholeCon. It's that pesky convention that Sean and I talk about on a regular basis. First weekend in November, not only do you need to get your ass there, but if you're going to run games and you listen to us, we would love to have you run games under our banner. Submissions are open. If you want to run something under our banner, let us know what you're up to, and uh, we'll do our best to make sure we get your uh, name on our roll so that if we're able to uh, swing any... Uh, gave me a swag for people who run for us. We can uh, get you accounted uh, for appropriately. Don't know what we can do this year. Had some fun last year. We'll see what we can make happen this year. And the OSR... Oh, con- oh. oh sorry. You oh, got, got something, Sean? Oh, the OSR contest winners. We uh, Sean and I paired up with Jason Hobbs of Hobbs & Friends of the OSR on the Misdirected Mart Network. And we had a series of folks write in and gave us some pretty cool <coughs> adventure ideas. A little about a page here. We had The Silk Merchant of Barabbas by Neil Benson. We had uh, Goblin's Henchman come in with the quote unquote balanced encounter. We had The Curse of the Var- uh the Curse of the Vargot, of Vargot the Blue, excuse me, The Curse of Vargot the Blue uh, by Gabriel Perez. Um, we had Diogo, uh, this one I, we, I call The Treasure Room, Diogo. Uh, Uh, Diogo did not name it, um, specifically, but I call it the treasure room. Uh, Jay Murphy came in with one as well, a city of spiders, which is pretty cool. And, uh, Dan dome, uh, giant Cronenberg rat, (laughs) which is pretty cool as well. So one, two, three, four, five, we had six of these buggers. Um, we know when contests like this, you got, when you got to sit down and crank out, crank out some documentation, it's not always easy nor, and you know we all have day jobs and stuff. So thank you everybody for writing in. And if you're listening to Hobbs, I think Hobbs actually beat us to the punch because he aired before us. But the winner is Gabriel Perez, uh, Vargot uh, um, the Blue, The Curse of Vargot the Blue. And the second place winner is a Goblins Henchman for his balanced encounter. <laughs> so as we said with the um, with the deal, both of those winners are, of course, outside the U.S., which means I've got some shipping to do. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to get my Greyhawk supplement, uh, the old brown little book, out to uh, Gabrielle. So, Gabrielle, uh, we'll be reaching out to you with uh, Jason Hobbs to figure out shipping and get that taken care of. Mr. Henchman will also reach out to you and make sure we get you squared away with the uh, the Trask book. And Jason and I are working with uh, Chris Nizek from Misdirected Mark to take all of these um, components and lay them out into a special edition of the Hobbs and Friends of the OSR zine that Jason Hobbs does. And we'll uh, get that included in the special edition of the zine, and we will then have that out to uh, our patrons and so forth. So thank you, everybody, for <laughs> submitting. It was cool. Love reading that stuff. So thank you all very much.
0: Yes, thank you for everybody taking part and, uh, you know... Scott Hobbs, Scott
1: Hobbs, oh the Hubster, yeah, yeah, he's a good, he's a good egg. And,
0: yeah, so if you haven't listened to him, go ahead and check him and his show out. And then, I mean, Jason and uh, Jason Hobbs and Brett were the the key instruments behind that contest. I will not take any credit, for, but they did all the legwork and everything. Sean will so. help.
1: Sean will help pay for shipping though, so he, he gets no credit, but he gets the bill. So it all it all works out in the end.
0: It always hits my desk uh, in some way or another.
1: Exactly. Yeah. My mouth writes checks that your ass has to cash. That's how this goes.
0: Oh. Speaking of which, Maverick 2 is coming out. Oh, or Top God. Gun 2 Maverick is coming oh, out. Christ. I saw that. That's right. x checks Sean's ass got a cash.
1: <laughs> oh, All right. There I you saw, go. I saw somebody's like, I can't remember the name of the person. Uh, somebody in Google Plus said somebody needs to look him in the eye and say, Oh honey, no! Just no. <laughs> Dude, I'm going like, to see that. I'm
0: going to see that movie like 20 times when it comes in the theater.
1: You just want to see the slow motion volleyball scene again. All right, moving on.
0: Uh, playing with the Boys by what's his name? Who's the...
1: oh god damn it, soundtrack guy? Yeah, we're, we're not we're not doing this. Random encounter. <laughs>
0: he wants he wants me to sing. I can tell. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Random encounter, we got a few this week, starting off from the uh, write-ins regarding episode 146, which had to do with...
1: Tactical combat. Tactical combat, how yes. to make your how, how do you deal with uh, tactical piece players, I should say? Those players who are uh, better at tactics than you may be, or at least they, uh, they're able to use their four or five n- against your one, effectively. So... Sean? So,
0: Blake Blake, Ryan and Crimfan wrote in ahead of the episode. We are now going to read their emails. You, you start. I mean, it's start. All right. Absolutely. So, Blake Ryan's two coppers regarding tougher encounters. Bullet number one. Humanoid critters can throw stink bombs that put the characters to sleep or make them sick. The humanoids are wearing cloth masks are are simply immune. Modern version is gas masks and flash slash concussion grenades. So he's given some advice on what you can do to kind of neutralize the power of the player characters. Uh, Number two, all the bad guys charge one character and tell the heroes to stop or they kill them. In a modern setting, having one sniper with a laser scope is all you need to stop people getting physical. Next one, combinations. Spear throwing humanoids with ooze or just monster pets. Rust monster pets. (laughs) That rust part's pretty important. (laughs) Very important. Rust monster pets. Spear throwers target the casters.
1: I just have this vision of a pack of kobolds or goblins, in all-leather armor with stone-tipped spears, and a small pack or gang. I'm assuming rust monsters travel in a gang. A gang of rust monsters being driven in front of them at the uh, tanks up front and all their gloriously wonderful, crunchable metal armor. I just love that idea.
0: Nom, 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 yum. (laughs) <laughs> and then uh, while,
1: while, while they're crying, then these, and the you know uh, obsidian tip spears are flinging over the top of the now-unarmored paladin and gutting the spellcaster. Anyway, carry on.
0: Traps. PCs have to get around traps or ditches to get to the bad guys. It's hard to cha- charge someone when you've trodden on two bear traps. The ditch can be filled with acid or oil. All this is fairly cheap and non-magical. For a modern setting, a claymore with a pressure plate trigger... Or a grenade in the letterbox can ruin a PC's day. Next one, if the heroes can get healed and resurrected, so can the bad guys. Weave it into the story. Example, each time they defeat a villain, he comes back, but is more construct, aberration, or demonic each time. And the last one, if the heroes can get... Oh, I'm sorry. If PCs can track down bad guys, interrogate their associates, and take their stuff then realistic, realistic, blah, 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 blah. realistically, some of the bad guys can do the same to the PCs. Nothing brings the PCs out of their comfort zone than finding bad guys snooping around their neighborhood and nailing the cat to the door, or maybe they can't find the PC's house and just set fire to the whole neighborhood.
1: Yeah, I did that in a vampire game once.
0: <laughs> set the neighborhood on fire? Pretty
1: much. They couldn't find the safe house. They couldn't quite crack the safe house, so they just said, fuck it, and... uh Bomb the living shit out of everything around him. Kind of a firebombing approach. Crimfan also wrote in, as alluded to, Crimfan says, I found that different groups are better or worse at tactics. I played with one that is excellent at tactics for many years and have gotten a lot better at it myself in the process. A A tactically savvy group uses teamwork, but that takes time. Here's some observations. They're written in a kind of 5e way, but can be adapted. The first rule of good tactics, attack where the enemy is weak, not strong. The second rule of good tactics, focus your fire. Don't scatter your damage around aimlessly and have foes that are not unintelligent coordinate their attacks in a thematically appropriate way. Missile uh, troops attack the casters or the healers. Melee guys focus on holding the line with the party's melee characters, etc. This makes for a huge difference, but your players may feel they're just getting picked on, so you need to wean uh, wean them into it. Don't tell them, though. Just do it. Third rule of good tactics, kill the weak. <laughs> Bloodied characters, I know it's not a thing in 5e, but really useful to note when a critter or character has 50% or fewer hit points. Draw more aggro because it's smart tactics to remove the weak from the battlefield. Smart players do this too. Now for some 5e specific stuff. Oh, by the way, does and aside from Brett, that is one of the nastier things to be done, but I love doing it, is you've got that fighter who's just woozy and weak, and oh my god, he's beat down and he's gushing blood, and everyone just... Jumps on him. I had a a fighter player one time. Were you just ganging up on me? Yeah, you're a badass, and I finally got you down to 25%, man. Look at you. You're bleeding all over the place. They're going to take you down. Anyway, Fan goes on. Uh, KFC's numbers, which are based on the uh, DMG5Es, are wonky, and in my experience, lead to easier encounters than nominal, uh, especially for larger groups where the action economy will overwhelm monsters. It's not too surprising as they have to be kind of t-shirt sizes for all possible groups where your group is yours and will be stronger or weaker against different types of encounters. A group of two clerics will be very strong against undead, whereas a group with no clerics will have a harder time. The DMG does not know your context. A group of seven PCs is difficult to run for, but there's only one DM, but seven PCs and the action economy will definitely be in their favor. Especially when you have a solo monster. A good group will lock the solo monster down I get the desire for solo monsters, but even with legendary actions, they work better um, with some um, Panzer panzer Grenadiers. 5V assumes you'll have a certain number of smaller encounters, not one big one. It's probably the whole short rest mechanic. Not one of its better features, in my opinion. I have a few optional reinforcements as a backup. Uh, They may or may not uh, show up as needed. Don't make them too tough, though, because just one or two can really shift the balance. Put in a few extra weaker monsters <clears throat> who may or may not show up. For example, if you have an encounter with orcs, have a few regular orcs who can show up as reinforcements in round three. If you also have an encounter start a bit more easily with, a, then, excuse me, <clears throat> you can also have the encounter start a bit more easily with a planned better monster as the reinforcement. Characters start fighting orcs, think it's going to be easy in round three. The real threat, an ogre, shows up. You find that you haven't. Ugh, good lord, I can't read. If you find that you have overclocked the fight, <laughs> you can make the hit points of one or two of the monsters a little bit lower. You can do the opposite with an underclocked fight. Bounded accuracy in 5 Year really starts to break down in my experience when there's a large level gap. They've tried, but they've low level monsters just can't do enough damage to be threatening except in really huge numbers, which drastically slows the game down to the excessive rolls. You'll want to use mob rules in DMG page 250. Don't just use monsters. Make interesting training situations. The monsters are native to the train; they can exploit it to their advantage. The well, PCs have to deal with it. Be portcullis to hold down for a few rounds. A bear totem barbarian will be contributing by doing that, and probably getting attacked. while well, not contributing to party's damage for a few rounds. While the rules allow you to alter monsters by adding class levels. This could be a lot of work with a relatively little reward. In 5e, I've come up with a notion of increased threat and reduced threat monsters as a quick way to manage this. Reduced threat as in Yawning Portal, but I've um, <coughs> excuse me, but i been doing it for a long time. The idea is to alter a monster or boost or cut its threat level. Change its description so the players can't realize who's who, and it doesn't really feel incongruous. Uh, reduce threat from Yawning Portal. Reduce monster hit points by 50%, minus 2 to attack. Ability checks, saving throws, and such. Uh, huge or larger monster size are reduced to large. They're all worth half the XP. Increase. Raise it. Hit points by 100%. AC by +2. All attack saves and DCs by +2. Extra damage. They're +1 CR, rounding fractions down. Increase the size by one category if it makes sense. All right. I think. Uh, oh wait. Sorry. One more piece here. Uh, for example, consider the orc. Increased threat, probably an orc champion of some sort. But have fun with it. Maybe it's a grossly fat orc, Uh cook bashing people with a cast iron or skillet or one that's been magically altered in some way. We have 30 hit points, attack bonus of +7. Do a 2d12 plus 3 or 2d6 plus 3 damage would be CR1. That's super easy to implement and doesn't require a lot of thought to get right. This approach works okay, but because it's not adding new powers, multiple attacks or the rest doesn't overturn the action economy and won't make the creature drastically more powerful. Who, Both two boys had a lot of good stuff. You know, one of the things Crimfan <clears throat> points out, it touches on uh, the D- one of the things I loved about DCC and a thing I've used a lot over the years, and DCC just kind of resolidified it for me is to keep the monsters mysterious. You see a big, fat orc, you know, this massive orc, damn near the size of an ogre, come rolling out of a kitchen with two cast iron skillets, a big leather apron, a patch on one eye, and he's bellowing and barking orders. And there's goblins running around, and you just you're like, oh my god, that's just it's weird looking. You if you take the time to describe the thing, is different. Sometimes just the fear of the unknown can be enough to overturn a party's balance where they'll all focus on the cook. Even if the cook is a complete wuss, they focus on the cook and then accidentally ignore, you know, the hobgoblin assassins who've been seeing it behind them in in, in some examples. But anyway, a lot of really good stuff here. Sean, any thoughts or comments before we go, fa- before we go past uh, Crim Fan and Blake?
0: No, good stuff.
1: Very good stuff. Thank you, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. Sean, next is yours.
0: Bill Durfee emails us regarding 146 and better tactics. DMs used to hate me. My background in the infantry gave me a very solid understanding of tactics. Bill Durfee, thank you
1: for your service. Absolutely.
0: I really rained on one Dungeon Master's Parade when I set up an ambush using the magic user and thieves as essentially a heavy weapons detachment. I used rangers as my overwatch on each end of the beaten zone, since they can't be surprised and then when the bad guys came stumbling down the road, they sprung the trap. It was all done in three rounds, and by that time, the only thing left was the giant. We had wiped out a force that was five times our size.
1: I used to it game went, the guy like, as a as a quick aside. I used to game the guy who was former Marine Force Recon. And uh, when Jan would say, "Hey," he liked to play magic users. We call him the Force Recon Mage because, like, here's what you're gonna do. <laughs> he would just command the battlefield. I would go, "Uh uh-huh. And uh, he would eat my stuff alive. It was amazing to watch. Anyway, carry on.
0: So it kind of went like this. Three magic users, all casting fireball in the first round and all the orcs and trolls and giants in the beaten zone. Uh, The DM had also made the mistake of giving the thieves crossbows of speed, almost like a machine gun. One might say that pretty much cleared out all the monsters that were under three hit dice. The area to the east of the beaten zone had been filled with traps and low-wire entanglement, but thieves. The fighters and clerics attacked from the west side, focusing on one giant and then the other until everything was dead. The fighters moved to the north edge of the beaten zone to provide security. While the thieves and magic users sifted the ashes for treasure, Uh, the rangers had already secured beyond the north edge of the zone. It was a massacre. We did a reorganization and then marched off to our haven. But the GM learned to try and mitigate that tactic by making it dangerous to use fireball, and there's nothing saying that the players can't go stumbling into an ambush too. Brett Kramer is a regular on the Miskatonic University podcast and is very familiar with Call of Cthulhu. Huh. Thanks for the show and hope... Uh, and hope... Wait. And hope... Walt. Oh, <laughs> Wait. Thanks for the show, and hope Walt, Jesus, finds the tactics he's looking for.
1: This is what happens when you do this over a holiday weekend. We just don't ever shit together. I will tell you though, bright. every everything that we just that we just read, I should say, Sean just read off here from Bill. And this is something I tried to say last time, I believe, and Crimfan and and even Blake mentioned. Basically, you can learn directly from your players if your players eat your lunch by pulling a Bill Durfee. For God's sakes, pull a Bill Durfee right back on him. There's no reason you can't. The other thing to realize, too, in that, in that type of scenario is if I was Bill's DM, I'd be like, son of a bitch, I gave that guy too much time. Right? Wow, did he have time to plan. Oh, my God, don't give the infantry guy that much time to plan. He'll eat me. The other thing, like he said, with ambushes and stuff, those ambushes, counter ambushes, where you jump on the players where the case is, when you do that stuff, it freaks the players out. It gives them that opportunity. Even if the ambush isn't really good, it's sudden. It's scary. It's sneaky. It's pow, and then they've got to react. They don't have time to do a lot of super sexy sneaky stuff. <clears throat> all right, next up, Stacy Winters. Email. Oh,
0: oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So he references Brett Kramer. Yeah. So Brett Kramer. He he's the gentleman that did the uh we did the die roll on his Lovecraftian um, locations. Yes. Yes, that's that's what he's telling us. Oh, so he, he's, good he's Lord. letting us know that Brett is a regular. I believe that's the case. Brett is a regular on the Miskatonic University because Brett, I think, actually contacted us on Google Plus or somewhere and let us know that he is also a gamer.
1: He's oh, in the, okay.
0: In the show, I wasn't sure, and he's like, "Yes, I am. I am a gamer as well." And then. Yes. Well, so then, my love for Bill, my love Bill for Brent, like,
1: my love for Brett Kramer is now twofold. One, we share an incredibly awesome name, so right there, that's uh, just fucking cool. Right. And two, we both like you know call Cthulhu Miskatonic University. <sighs> I mean, the guy could be my brother. I love this. Anyway, right.
0: <laughs> so I, I, that's why I'm like, wait, why is he putting that in there in kind of like this weird position? Oh, that's why. Okay. Now it comes to me.
1: Fair enough. All uh, right. Shall I go yeah. on? Yeah.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Next one.
1: Stacy Winters emailed us. Greetings, long-time listener, first-time contactee here, and apologies if this is too long. Stacy, first things first. Um, as you can probably tell, we too long and eh, don't really care. It's all good. Anyway, my name is Stacey, and while I've been meaning to send a message your way, uh, it took this topic for me to finally chime in before getting into the topic. I really have to say I love your podcast, and it's one of the very few I listen to on a weekly basis. You guys do good stuff. Stacy. thank you. That is awesome. Thank you very much. Awesome. Very, very cool. That makes me feel better. I had a bad day today. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. See, you made see, Brett's day better. He, he was kind of a sourpuss going into the show. And I'm like, Brett, I've been there, but it'll get better because it's just going to happen. You're going to do this show and you're just going to be in a better mood. And now, look at we'll Stacy you know, directly contributed to that.
1: Perfect. All right. Stacy continues with now about tactical combat. The first thing to note is that it's important to realize that not all RPGs can do tactical gameplay well, and most can't do it at all. If having a solid, good tactical element is important to the players, and most can't do it at all. So, if having a solid, good tactical element is important to the players, then help them facilitate the experience of tactical gameplay. They should pick a game system that has it built into its engine. That's a very good point. We didn't mention that before, Stacy, but that's a damn good point. I mean, if you're trying to run uber tactical with a game system that is amber or something that's kind of, I'll I'll say, loosey-goosey. I, that's tough. <laughs> that's very tough. So, very good point. Having the game provide the game mechanism, she goes on and says, "To match the kind of game experience the player wants is probably one of the most important game discussions. It, excuse me, game decisions a group can make. Beyond having the game's mechanisms help, players should come to the table prepared. Knowing their character sheet is super important. So they should know all their options. The GM should know and understand how the battlefield rules operate and make them dynamic." They also need to understand how their NPCs work and what all their options are available to them. Some of this is just basic stuff that should happen anyways. But for this kind of game, nothing can steal a tactical game faster than a player GM not knowing what something does that's on their sheets. Apparently, Stacy's been listening to our uh, players series as well, Sean. (laughs) Know your damn character sheet. That's right. C.S. goes on to say, momentum of action is important. Every action taken should add to the dynamic scene that is the battlefield and then change the scene in some way. Maps are important, and having the visual placement of figures and monsters trained in battlefield conditions all on display adds to the game. Most important of all, however, is that a good tactical game should provide the players a sense of real player agency within the combat. Players' actions should be helped by the game's rules, and rules should be designed in such a way to provide them the freedom uh, to feel like they can actually do some cool actions and maneuvers without having to rely on the GM fiat for the actions to work. I guess this also means that there has to be a good trust between players and GMs because it all takes uh, because it all takes to suck the fun out of a good tactical game for GM to make some quote-unquote ruling of a game rule they doesn't like and is changing it simply because he wants to. This is where the game, uh, games that are also more rulings, not rules, don't fare well as tactical games because a good tactical game needs rules. Of course, there's a fine line between just enough rules and too many rules d 4E is just enough. Pathfinders too many, and not in a good way. And 5E is not enough, for examples. The battlefield um, of a tactical game should provide options, both for players and GM to use. That means every battle that takes place should have a reason for it to happen. I mean, sure, you can go down the path of playing in a hack-and-slash game, but if the game is just endless repetition of fights with no real meaning to them, beyond being the grindfest, they might as well play World of Warcraft or Candy Crush. Those games do grindfest much better. <laughs> I like that. The Candy Crush is what gets me giggling. (laughs) There's a list of some games that provide the means and game mechanism to facilitate good tactical game experiences. This list has to start with D&D 4th Edition. One of the pentacles of tactical role-playing and one of the very few RPGs that has ever helped me as a player to feel like an epic badass while playing the game. This also has my 4E as my personal favorite edition of D&D because no other edition has ever helped me feel like that. Another well-known is Savage Worlds, which I'd say it does this well too. If you want another D20 game that uh, does this, then look to Iron Heroes, the game Mike Merles did before he got hired by Wizards. This game is awesome. Then to round out this list, there's Strike. That's an exclamation mark at the end which is uh, similar to D&D 4E, but powered by the Apocalypse-like uh, game mechanics. Valor, a D&D 4E-like game, but instead of picking your abilities from a pre-made list, you make your own. And my personal favorite, Fragged Empires, which is a beautiful science fiction post-apocalyptic RPG that does squad action pretty well. Have a game that provides players the agency to do tactics and to pull off doing amazing and awesome actions on the battlefield while having a real say in the combat story is probably... How best to pull off a good tactical game experience? Thank you for your time reading this, and please keep up your wonderful podcasting work, Stacy. Whew! long, Stacy? But I will tell you that was some awesome stuff. So thank you very much. That was good.
0: Now, Jay, uh, now Brett, you mentioned that Stacy may, maybe she. We don't know if Stacy is
1: she. That is true. I did say she. My apologies, Stacy. I I have met I have met men who are Stacy's. So, Stacy, sure. my apologies if I offended one way or the other. Not yeah, just in my
0: case intentions. you're. Yeah, just in case you're a guy, we didn't mean anything by it. No,
1: no, I do not. Um,
0: Steve Orlick writes, Hello, gents. Just figured I'd share how I try to make combat challenging but not deadly. Well, maybe sometimes deadly. I read somewhere that preparing encounters to have three stages makes it easier to control the difficulty. I'd like to give credit for that idea where it's due, but I forgot where I saw it. Anywho... One of the stages can be something like reinforcements for either side if the fight is getting a bit one-sided. An environmental event or trap can help even the odds as well. Also, if you use a GM screen of some sort, you can fudge die rolls or hit points. Ooh, there's a debate. Uh, Not something I'd recommend being done often, as it can break player-slash-GM trust. But if that big boss fight you spent hours planning is turning into a route, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. That being said, letting the players uh, decimate something that shouldn't be used as a tactic in and of itself to instill a sense of false confidence in them. Next time, you can have them walk into what looks to be an easy encounter, but but have the monsters be much more powerful than expected. Hey, we killed the dragon! What are these six orcs going to do? Reskin those orcs to be genetically altered in some way so that they don't fight like orcs at all. Maybe Storm Giants or Emperians. Uh, Lots of ways to leave yourself wiggle room as a GM. Hope my two cents helps. Feel free to give me change. Steve Orlick.
1: I like that, Steve. That's good stuff. Yes, thank you. There's there's something to be said for, and, and maybe I'm distilling the wrong thing out of some of these comments, but, I mean, one of the pieces around tactical advantage is you don't have all your cards on the table. We talk about one of our listeners wrote about having backups, things in reserve, and so forth. you know your generals and and so forth on the battlefield don't show all their cards. No one ever said, well rammel here's what I've got you now Patton, you show me what you've got you know i it it didn't quite work like that um it, you know so it doesn't hurt to have some of those things in reserve, even if <coughs> excuse me, you just have a batch of well, I could have ogres or trolls. There's reasons for either one of them being here. We'll see how the combat goes. You know what? Boom! Uh, half a dozen of each. I think will will to help help make this combat more interesting. There's no reason not to pull that type of stuff out. So I think that's that's pretty handy. And I really like Stacy's idea of. I mean, if you really want to go hardcore tactical, if that's a thing your group really, really group excuse me group really really wants to do, does help to have a system that helps uh, enforce that. So good stuff.
0: Yeah, the next one there, buddy. Yeah,
1: I do getting it set up here. Got my um, so in the background, just so everybody knows, for just in case everybody cares. I got my oldest son Connor is running a D and D game for my middle daughter, who's never played D and D before. Rhiannon and AJ and Lana, my two little ones. So she's never played. D&D <laughs> she's never played before. She never really wanted to, but they started playing at the cabin in Michigan, and uh, Rhiannon was like, "So we're gonna play again." So I'm like, "Ooh,
0: ah."
1: Connor might have a convert, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> My wife just sent me a text and said everyone's still getting along. There was some arguing, but that has all been squashed because Rhiannon's like, come on, move the story along. (laughs) That's my girl. All right, back to pre-gens. Mike Passwald emails us. Hello again, BS men. On the topic of session zero and using pre-gens in home games, my own experience is positive. I've been running some DCC funnels and have a stack of characters on hand, and having a stack of characters on hand does a few good things for my table. Excuse me. I have spares when the death toll is too high. I've been there. Um, it saves time and lets us jump right into the game. Also, since I'm a proponent of rolling stats by the Iron Man 3D6's fate-would-have-it method, random gens get all the fiddly work out of the way. Players get practice learning how to read the sheets to determine character strengths. Character development happens through play. As you might know, picking the wrong guy for a task uh, during the funnel... Dot, dot, dot. Fill it in. <laughs> I've run other games for three unique groups of players, and even though they didn't get to roll the dice for their characters, the emergent character development worked in their favor. In all cases, by the time we were done with our first session of play, the characters they ended up with were still as good to them as if they had rolled them themselves. Hope this all makes sense. As always, keep up the good work. Oh, it looks like Mike also emailed us and said, Hey, fellas, a little bit on the side here. said, One of your friendly Illinois brethren here with a couple quick hypothetical questions. He says, let's say that I, or someone I know, completes the registration process for a con, and all of the games full fill. <clears throat> what options are, are, full, are, full. are full? Oh, my yeah. God. What con options are available to the lost? In that case, what would the investment in a sandwich board be worth it? <laughs> my apologies again if this was covered already. Hope to run into you all at game hole. Oh, my God. As I mentioned before, my origins lie in the land of cheese and beer. Strange as it is, and I've encountered uh, for a real uh, bubbler. <laughs> Oh, he's uh he's a original uh, Wisconsinite, so that's awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> uh, so first of all, thanks for writing in, Mike. I'm sorry you have to live down there by
1: hubs. Well, he does have VCs down there, so that just well, <clears throat> oh, that's true. VC Young, the maker of the maker of Gaming BS maps, uh, does help raise um, the rest of the Illinois gamers up a bit, so.
0: Well, I think there's an email later that mentions somebody from Minnesota. Oh, actually, no. Oh, it might have been an email I sent where they mentioned they were from Minnesota and and an enemy. And I said, you know, being a mud duck or from Illinois, because you're a gamer, all that is set aside.
1: Exactly. Gamers' uh, blood is thicker than water. That's right. Exactly.
0: Uh, But going back to his question
1: yeah I mean, if all the games are full, holy fuck, okay, my assumption is yeah. small con or it's all the games that you're interested in, so there is the always the option I did this at Origins. every game I played at Origins was off book now I was fortunate
0: to
1: get, get somebody to runs off book exactly I was fortunate that one i ran I was running off book and i had was very fortunate I had listeners of the show and Mr director Mark friends and fans of that show. We all knew each other, so I kind of had a ready-made posse of folks who were ready to throw down and game or run a game. Damn near at a moment's notice. We kind of had a a (laughs) mini-gaming BS, I should say misdirected Mark run plus gaming BS plus she's a super geek group of folks there all gaming together. (laughs) So there is always the option for running off books. Some cons do have open tables and such. I don't know which con you're speaking of there, Mike. So if shit's open and you can find a table, you can always maybe wrangle up some folks. Um, But yeah. Um, Sean, have you run into that where you wanted to get where you were, everything you're looking for is full? No.
0: Uh, Maybe I'm hoping that I'm hoping that it's like you said, uh, Mike's looking at games that he wants to play and they are full, but that not every game at the con is full. Cause that's that's craziness there. Um, and hopefully, if at the con has pickup games, they have usually a roster like uh, Gary Con Gamehole Con. I could speak directly. Usually, they'll have a sheet that people will put down a game that they're playing off grid or running off grid, and what time, and then maybe a table number, or they'll muster at that table at the start time, and then they'll go and find a table, and then you can. Just show up and then boom, you're you're good.
1: The other thing to do too, uh, Mike, is possibly grab onto the social media for whatever that con is. If it's, if you got a Facebook page, Google Plus, Twitter, even a even a blog post, excuse me, a website, anywhere you can contact people and say, hey, I'm gonna be there. I'd like to run a thing, or I'd be interested in playing something. Is anyone running off book, or is there any space open? The other thing, and I hate to say it, Mike, and maybe this is not your thing, but I gotta tell you, man, one thing to do is run games. For that con, if that's a fun con you like to go to, maybe to get in, you need to run the game. I mean, this is how <laughs> I think we talk. Sean had talked about it. this is the way a lot of us end up being game masters. Is like, all right, no one's gonna run Star Wars, son of a bitch. Guess I'm the guy to run Star Wars. Yep, guess what? She's the you know she had enough of everyone's crap and she's running Dungeon World because no one else will run it. God damn it. Um, so you might need to do that. I don't know if it's too late for that convention or not, but um, one way to grab. Players is to be be willing to run a game of your choice, and um, it's easier to probably to grab uh, folks who have open time to play it than it is always to walk around saying we'll play, you know, we'll game, we, you know, I'll fill a spot on your table kind of sandwich board. It's easier to have a hey, I'll run Dungeon World, uh, you know, f- you know, for a sandwich. <laughs> you might be able to pull that off. I don't know.
0: And when all else fails and all hope is lost, you go get yourself. A freaking copy of Happy Salmon.
1: Yeah, because you get a copy of Happy Salmon. Within five minutes, you have a bunch of people hanging around you wondering what the hell you're doing.
0: People are going to want to play your game after they see one round. If you can get four or five people playing that thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll work. Then, then you're
0: going to have fun. All right. Hope that answers your question, Mike. If not, drop us a line. And we do hope to see you at Game GameholeCon. Absolutely. Thanks for writing in.
1: We've had and some, we had some, uh, speaking of writing in, we had some long, uh, listener feedback here, but you know, everybody, thank you all very much. Sean, I've said this many times and I, we continue to mean that you guys have got some great stuff. I mean, these, uh, I would say 10 or half the topics we've had have come from discussions we've had back and forth with our listeners through this format. So thank you men and women very much. Please keep it up. It's always awesome to hear. Man, let's get to the main topic. Let's do
0: Hombre, holy moment, 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 everybody's <laughs> here at mass, yes. talking about the combats.
1: Yes, mass combat. Well, uh, Gabe Dibbing on G Plus asked us a while ago how we deal with mass combat in our RPGs, and I thought, hmm, a couple different ways to attack this. We could go right into systems and tools and that type of thing, but I thought, wait a second. Let's step back here, Sean. What the hell is mass combat anyway? what the fuck would I want to do that in my RPG? Isn't that what war games are about? Why am I doing this? So this may turn into a two-parter, Gabe, and I apologize if we don't get your answer right out of the gate here, but I want to figure out this first piece first and then see what happens if we get in the systems. Maybe we'll touch on it. Maybe we'll have to come back at it. Anyhow, Sean, what would you, if I said, hey, how how do you deal with mass combat? What What do you define as mass combat? What does that mean to you?
0: Well, I would say that it is probably... A group of, I would say, I don't know if there's a specific number to it, but I would say it's a large group of large forces. So how do you define large forces? I don't know if that's 50 people, people, individuals in a group and and coming towards somebody and that's mass combat. Or if you're talking like thousands.
1: Yeah, because when I have done mass combat in the past in RPG, sometimes it was... Like a cool story beat, if you will, to have the small adventure turns into like the big grand combat. And there was tons of miniatures on the table and Drugar and dark elves and dwarves fighting for the homeland. The player characters were all mixed up and trying to save the king and ballisti were being launched and horrible serpent demons coming up. It was It was a ton of fun. Mass combat, right? Big, big, big. I've also seen and have done a bit of this myself where it's actually a war. You know, where there's a f- physical invasion, you'd think think um, to pull from something most people probably know is like the Battle for Helm's Deep in Lord of the Rings, Whoa. where you're, you know hold the line and the orcs are coming and just smashing like wa- like waves on the like waves on the rocks, and you've got to deal with that. So, I think there's basically two different ways, I think anyway, to look at it. Just sheer number of models on the table, right? Like, hey, it's um. Our usual cast of player characters, say four to six players, and then a metric shit ton of NPC monsters, NPCs, monsters, whatever. Like there's 50 goblins, 60 orcs, you know, lich in the background, a bunch of dark elves, and a beholder. Oh, my God. That's not mass combat to me. That's just a complicated combat. That's just a lot of shit to deal with. When I think mass combat, Sean, I'm thinking military-grade you know, almost back to what we were talking about up top here. Let me make sure I speak my name correctly. Do 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 do. Who is our infantry infantryman? I just I don't want to make sure it's right. off a crimp Van. Do, 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 <laughs> do, do, do. Ah, Bill Duffy. Sorry, Bert Durfee. Sorry, Bill. So Bill, our infantry guy. When I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about you know, you know, battalions, groups, and so forth. Um. I guess so. I don't. don't, I'm not saying I'm right, Sean. I'm just saying that that's what I'm thinking of. Have you have you done that type of? I guess let's call it. Let's say military grade because I've got nothing else off the top of my head. But that type of thing in an RPG before, where you've got like you know battalions, units, squads, that type of thing, where it's an actual part of a war. Have you done that before? To
0: some degree, um, Jimmy one of Jimmy's characters in Doc's homebrew game ran and he was running a barbarian dumb as a stump, but he was kind of like the leader of the, what became known as the blood blades. So the blood blades had like, I don't know if it was a couple platoons, maybe a company size. It wasn't overly huge. and you know, he was the head of them. And so he could lead them and take some of those resources to kind of get into more of a bigger combat action. But individually, the way we ran that, I mean, they were mass combats, but the way doc ran them was, we were running a combat not much different than you would any other combat. So in other words, we weren't tasked with like, well, there's a thousand over there and a hundred over here. What do we, you know, where are we going to do? It's kind of like where we were going to go as our own little group while the other part of the army battled somewhere else. And then when we went into that encounter, it wasn't that much different than a regular encounter.
1: When I've done it on a military grade version of the mass combat, right. It's often been, you're a squad or a small group of men and women. You know, you're going to go, you're kind of the black ops, the super special ninja type forces, because for fuck's sake, you're player characters. So you're high level fighters, high level clerics and wizards and thieves. And, You guys have got all these great skills or you're the, you know, anti-vampire forces. You're the super ex spetsnaz nasty fuckers that go in and do whatever in in our modern game or sci-fi. You've got crazy ass shit. But anyway, your guys, your men and women in in that little squad are doing a very special mission. And a very mission-based thing where you're going in. And your mission will help turn the tide. I, um... I think also that came to mind is like in, in Hellboy. In the movie Hellboy. I mean I I'm a fan of the comics as well. But ne- never never saw Never saw, it. saw the movie Hellboy? No. All right. All right. I'm gonna I'll give you a pass on that because I'm I'm because oh. I give you so much shit about Star Wars, I'll I'll give you a pass on. The,
0: okay, oh and that. the thing man.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen the thing yet. So a
0: few of the guys have called you I, out on that
1: front. A few? I think <laughs> like there's a, li- a list of people I keep asking me every week. See so yet anyway. There's a piece in there where, you know, Rasputin is trying to do a thing. And okay, I don't fucking care if I spoil it because the movie's been out forever. So Rasputin's <gasps> trying to open up.
0: Oh uh, no, no, I don't want to see it. <laughs> uh, Great.
1: Rasputin's trying to do this horrible thing. And a small squad of of uh US troops and British troops are trying to show up and fix this problem you know, helps to turn the tide of the war in some respect. Is that the thing that stops the Nazis? No, not necessarily, but it helps to cut their knees out from under them on this particular occult uh, front. So a similar thing, right? Where the player characters, they may actually be the people are going in to take out the, the despot on, you know, Alpha Centauri. And they're the ones that if they make this happen, they assassinate this person and she's dead. Then thank God the rest of us will be okay. So that is how, whenever I've done military grade, like, oh, there's a war on, and you're going to do your part for the war effort. It's always been squad-based. Here's a very specific mission. You know, may the gods help you. I hope you get back alive. We'll know if you won. We'll know if you did it, because, you know, everything will explode. And we know you didn't do it because you never made it back type of thing. Um, so that's how I've done that. Um, I think the fun about having that That squad-based action for a big, you know, as a piece of a war mass combat in a game is Do you feel like the players and their characters have this definite, there's a thing that you're supposed to do that's incredibly important for the effort, right? Get this thing done. Take out Rasputin. Solve the occult component of this war. Nip that in the bud so we can do the rest of the work we've got to do. Take out this special edge that they have. Um, I think that lends a lot of passion and meaning to things and also helps to, um, if you want it, you can have some inter-party conflict or right? someone's, well, I don't know, maybe Rasputin's a nice guy. You can, <laughs> you can have some of that if you want. But there is a level of, this needs doing because it's bad if it's allowed to happen. We have to stop this thing. So there's a level of bringing the group together. It's a mission. You're on it. You've got a job to do. Go get it done. And I think that lends to uh, some good group uh, goal setting, I guess. You you with me? Yeah. Yeah.
0: We've handled it we've handled it in a similar way where it's more squad and and even then the the big baddies that we would encounter happened to be the the the, the where we were. So if we said, all right, we're going to we're going to mount an attack. We're all going to go in this direction. And we're going to go in this direction like the party. And so um you know, the forces would go all in one direction and then we would. And then wherever we went were the big bats, like the big, huge trolls or the big orcs or big giants or whatever. They just happened to come our way or it would just be a segment of them, uh maybe a uh, bigger group than the rest. So maybe if it's a, a force of that included five giants, we would have we would have to deal with three of them while the others dealt with maybe one in one space and another in another space. But it wasn't. It wasn't very. Um, I think when I when people think about mass combat, it wasn't like I was commanding a thousand people. My other player character was commanding another thousand people. How are we moving our forces? How are we commanding them? It was very much like I mean, if you could picture like Lord of the Rings the movie, and you had the 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 the, the hero is always kind of in one spot, going through yeah a group but usually the group is really kind of whatever you're seeing right it's not like okay you've got 30 goblins around you no it wasn't like that as much as it was you know a couple big bads a couple minions but it was still scaled more towards if we were to be a squad based unit even though we'd have others around us it wasn't part of the narrative well maybe it was part of the narrative but it wasn't part of the the tactics makes sense yeah
1: so again, I think from what you're saying there makes it also reminds me of Ari Salvatore's Crystal Shard, the first book he wrote of the Icewind Dale trilogy, where Drizzt and Um, Wolfgar and Brunor and all those folks kind of come out. Have you read that one? Is that that
0: is that fa- is that the fanfic book?
1: Oh my God! Is it fan? <laughs> yeah, that's
0: that's. So somebody somebody tell him, that's? You know, it's funny. Uh, Ed, I'll, oh, Bob, I'll, next, we'll, he doesn't
1: listen when we see. He Ed doesn't when we see Ed Greenwood at Game of Thrones, I'll have him kick you right in the nuts. <laughs> I don't know if it, Ed's going to do it, but Bob might. Oh, Bob! I think Bob might. I don't know Bob personally, but from what I've seen about Bob, he you might, you might now be. Now I'm going to go can. out on a limb and say
0: Bob doesn't listen to this podcast, but I'm sure he has probably got the world record for tell us about your
1: character story. Oh, for Christ's sake! Yes. <laughs>
0: Tell but, us about your but, character story. I'll tell you, the the guys, th- written books about his character.
1: But I'll tell you what. I mean, there's just as a quick aside, as Ed Greenwood said in a seminar. I keep writing Elminster books because they keep paying me to do it. Right. Well, people
0: when, keep people keep buying when, them. So when they yeah. tell
1: me, hey, they want to know more about it. All right, you. I'm an author for a living. I'd be a dumb shit to not to not do this because I will get paid for it anyway. So in the book, <coughs> excuse me. There's there's a big war at the very end, and. Drizzt and um, uh, the halfling, shit, um, Regis, have to go deal with a thing. So what they're doing is they're having these little squad-based, if you will, encounters. These very either one-on-one or whatever. But that's the same type of thing. Like We'd be the ones, our player characters be the ones. We're going to sneak into the to Wizard's Tower. We'll fight the trolls. We'll battle our way past the demon. We'll be there to take out that wizard, cut the head off the snake. And then the game master will tell us how we won the war. From behind enemy lines, right? That's what we're expecting. So, (coughs) excuse me, let's, if we step out though and say, all right, so that's kind of military grade. That is how I have dealt with military type actions in an RPG. I have played Warhammer Fantasy Battles. Um, I got buddies of mine that play Warhammer uh, 40K. I've seen tons of other larger scale miniature battles. If you really want to get crazy tactical, to Stacy's point, you're like an uber tactical game for military grade mass combat, get a tactical war game and work that into your storyline, which you could easily do. Right. But so let's take this to mass combat being just a metric shit ton of stuff in a room. I don't even know what where, where the line blurs from like shit ton of stuff. Right. When you have, is it 50 goblins, 60 orcs, 40 trolls, and two wizards is that where it gets or <clears throat> i don't know i i think some of that has to do almost when it becomes a tactical <laughs> mess for the game master where they're like uh oh shit i forgot about the dark elves and the the car- you know those guys have been haven't moved for five rounds type of thing have you run into that where you basically there's there's so much stuff on the table I, it, either miniatures or theater, theater of the mind just to say table there's so much going on at the table in one specific encounter you can't keep it straight.
0: I haven't run into I, I haven't run into that specifically where we're keeping track of that the minutia. We've had combat where you've got forces and locations and tactically we may be advising because we make good tactic roles or what have you but you know I haven't played in a miniatures game where we've had everything out on the table rank and file hundreds of miniatures and I haven't gone into the meta or the mega the meta the mega kind of scenario it's really pretty much been that squad based kind of approach now um I'm trying to think maybe no nope. I I just I don't know if it's just because of the games I've played and the people that have run them have just chosen to not break out that mass craziness.
1: Um, well, I'll tell you, when when I have had the mass craziness, one of the things that, from a bog-it-down perspective, and if you're listening to the show long enough, you know Brett can't stand shit that gets bogged down, unless it's this podcast because I just talk in circles. But in my games, I want shit to move forward. And the times has driven me bananas is when... It's been a huge brawl, right? So there is, I'll use my D&D type example. Well, there's a nasty evil wizard, cultist, fucker, cleric, whatever in the background. And she's going to just stomp the crap out of us. And she has a small, quote-unquote, army of demi humans, goblinoids, that are going to be just rolling on us. Plus a giant or two or whatever. And when the um, when the first pack of goblins comes howling down on us, and there's... 30 of the fuckers, and the DM is rolling 30, 20-sided dice. Okay, the first one rolls, miss, miss, miss. Or even rolling them in groups and just trying to figure it out. That type. And then when you do damage, back. So that's bad enough. Then when you damage the goblins with a fireball, like, okay, this one's saved. I got saves out of 15 out of the 20. So it's half, and then da-da-da. Okay, I think three of them are dead. I mean, if you're listening to that and you're not falling asleep, I mean, good for you. But that shit is boring as hell. And that's where I think some of the newer gaming tech or mechanical tech of MOOCs, the concept of look, you know, thirteenth age did a really good thing here, and I think five e does this as well. I don't know four e enough, but where you have average hit points, and I know even three 30 three zero and three five had this, you know, average hit points or even average damage that they can deal out, just just a kind of an assigned number. And say, oh, look, roll once for the whole group, that type of thing, is what we've always done to try to speed that up, right? So when a pack of goblins, 30 goblins comes roaring up, the uh, mage drops a fireball on them, roll once, maybe twice, give them advantage because they're a mass or something. Um, A lot of times what's happened for us is that the mass combat rules for that type of mass combat have tended to be ad hoc because it doesn't happen that often, and... I know there's mob rules in 5e, I believe, and a number of other games, you know, where you can gang up and all that stuff. And I know that there are other systems that have really cool rule systems around it. But we just never, it happens so rarely to us that we end up just doing something that we think sounds fair at the time. Does that make sense? It
0: does. And I think going to directly to Gabe's question is, how do we, how do we deal with mass combat? And I would, if I were to run mass combat tomorrow, first of all, it depends on the system. Yeah. And if the system has mass combat rules, then I would try to implement them and make that happen. So if it's Savage World, Worlds or GURPS or D&D or Pathfinder or whatever, if they have, na- and I should say, well, I would start with native rules. If they have them natively for the system, then I would do that. If they don't, and there is a supplement that may have, uh, rules for mass combat for that system, then I would maybe take a look at that. And I say maybe because my last option would be to kind of implement something of my own homebrew, which would probably equate something to the effect of like a skill check. So if you're not familiar with a skill check, I'm not going to go into a huge amount of mechanics with Brett and I. When we went into this show, Brett was like, I really don't want to get into the nuances of mechanics for every different system and how those different systems use mass combat but essentially it would be a matter of who are the party members who are this you know the um, strategic tacticians of the group maybe there was one maybe there's two and then i would treat like okay make this role you make that role you make that role and and It's not a conscious. You're not doing so. If you listen, if you've listened to some good podcasts,
1: (laughs) good podcasts. Hey, if if you have, let's let's know what they are because we only we only know like Miss Director Mark and a couple others. So if you know better (laughs) ones out there, I mean, there's you know, there's good stuff. I mean, you know, Darcy's got her good one and so on. But anyway, carry on,
0: Gus. Wake up over there. So my point is that if. Um, uh, you would do it in a way that would not be like, okay, you roll this because you're rolling your part or maybe you can, it depends on your GM style and your play style. But typically you would kind of say, all right, you know, you're going to have a, you're going to set a target. Maybe it's five successes. If they get five, this happens. If they have four, this happens. If they have three, this happens. So then when you put those down, then you you roll you have them make checks whatever those are maybe there's a strategy check tacticians check maybe there's I don't know an ambush some something along those lines a character rolls that the wizard's gonna put drop some big fatty nukes fi- have them roll that come up with some arbitrary target numbers and then based on the results and how many skills checks or successes they've had in that series that warrants like they win overwhelmingly or they, you know, route this group in the East, but the West still stands. So something along those lines, meta it, quick, it fast, it done. And then what are they going to do based on the results?
1: I do like that. I think what you just said, when you say meta it quick, I think that's definitely a piece when I have run that type of fuck, there's a lot of minis on the table, a lot of characters in play here, NPCs, monsters, player characters, blah, blah, blah. Um, having okay i'm gonna i'm gonna make a ruling that this happens does that make are we fair with that? Oh yeah, yeah, that sounds fair, brett that's good okay I'm gonna say that you did this that sounds like it should take out about half of the goblins, yeah, that sounds about right, okay, half of them are gone um <clears throat> although what you do say and it does make sense we if we do get into uh another episode where we talk about specific rules, perhaps, but one of the things we've said in our player series is absolutely true here too is that if you're going to be if you're planning a mass combat like this and you don't know. I don't know the mob rules for D and D. I don't know the, um, the overbearing rules. I don't know what happens if there's moot, what the mook rule is or how to use average hit point, average hit attacks, or how do I roll saving throws for a mass of a similar type of creature or, or whatever the case is, or even if creature equals, you know, Fifty Space Marines versus fifty, you know, Delta Space Marines. I don't. I don't even know what that is. If there are rules for it, as Sean said, it behooves you as you tell any player, learn how to cast fucking spells if you're a wizard. Learn how to do the fucking mass combat <laughs> rules if you're going to run a mass combat. Have them out. Have them with you, and tell the players, look, we're encountering this. Here's the rules. Let's go through it by the book, and let's just walk it through again. A bit meta. We're going through it, but you're learning something you may or may not have done before. Everybody gets it. They played through it. It's by the rules. Tick 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 ding. And next thing you know, you're on to the next bit. Then you can you can always ask your players later, "Did you like that?" Um, and that's another important piece, I think, <laughs> with mass combat is, do you want to even have it in your tabletop game in your RPG? <sighs> There's a certain size that almost becomes a miniatures game. Like I'll pick on Warhammer Fantasy Battles or Warhammer 40k. Or, or a war machine, or anything like that. You can almost get so much stuff on the table that you feel like you need to have a table full of minis, turns and turns by side. Who does this? You know, and it feels very war gamey, which is fine if that's a thing you dig. But if mass combat for that size is not something your get your group gets into, it might be a neat palate cleanser once in a while. Um, but. <laughs> if you're doing it and the group is like yeah that was fun but i don't want to keep having huge hordes of stuff because oh, it took too long even though we used the rules because i know you did all the studying Sean it was it sounded like fun but man Angie and i were just bored oh we just you know we just couldn't get into it uh yeah i guess it was okay if you hear that you might want to yank <clears throat> that type of combat out or at least scale it back to what's a re- what is a reasonable size and again the other piece to remember is that if you don't have a rule system for it You're one game master versus the players. And even if the players, say there's five or six of them, and they're only running one character, and you've got six groups of 30, that's a lot for you to deal with. And then if the players, all six of them, five or six of them, each have a squad or a group or a battalion or five or six more NPCs that they're working and running, that's a lot to keep track of. And quite frankly, not a lot of players dig that. Um, at least some of the people I've met say, look, if I want to do that, I'd play Warhammer or Fantasy Battles. I don't want to do that here. So I think, <clears throat> Sean, my reason for doing a big combat like that every once in a while is because of just the raw epic nature of, you know, let the bodies hit the floor. There's so goddamn many things laying out there. The the barbarian has a chance to just cleave and make their way across the battlefield in the old Pathfinder 3 three five world. You know, or you just the huge auto fire bursts and, you know, you take down all the foes and you're able to put the flag down. There's some really cool in the middle of a war feeling type of things that can happen there. But I don't like to do them all that often because they become too tedious and they're very combat focused. If you have a group of players who are much more talky talky story people, this type of thing might not be a regular, might not be a regular crowd blazer at your table. At least that's my opinion.
0: Yeah. I think th- yeah. You definitely with anything got to sprinkle it around a little bit and not make it the theme of your game. Unless, Everybody's on board with it.
1: Yeah, and I think when because having it happen at a certain at cool key points, wow, we finally did this, and by doing this, we defeated the Lich King. We did this, and we killed, or were able to finally get so and so from, you know, this other country to surrender or wherever the case is. It can be really neat, but I I think unless there is, it's got to be like the the big ending or or some big story beat, right? You either have to finish it here. It's all over at this big brawl or the next big clue has been dropped on you after you, you know, are busy bandaging your wounds and figuring out what comes next. Yeah. All right, man. All right. So obviously, um, Gabe, we may, I'm going to assume quite frankly that we probably didn't do everything you wanted us to talk about there. So if you've got a finer point to us, Gabe, let us know if we missed the mark. And I'm positive, our listeners, as we heard earlier in the show, you guys are super smart, smarter than Sean and Brett. Hit us up with what, how you've used mass combat. How have you defined it? What is your group defined it as? Um, how you've used it in your games? And uh, if you've had had a good story, or you've had a horror story, let us know. And if you do use a mechanical tool to help you get through it, be it Savage Worlds or something else like that, I know in one of the, um, in our posts on G+, I know Eric Lamoureux and um, uh, a couple other folks were going kind of back and forth um, about different options around Savage Worlds and how it works and so on. So don't be afraid to uh, – anyway, call us out. Let us know what you, uh, what you think because there's there's definitely some mechanical stuff out there that's, that's better or, you know, makes sense.
0: Yeah. That's sweet. Absolutely. What Brett said. Cool. Let's get into die roll. Let's do it.
1: Right. Die roll.
0: Brett's got a couple. Yeah. Go for it, Brett, All man. right.
1: So uh, first, one, first things first, I'm going to jump down to my second one. Darcy Ross is now part of Monty Cook Games. So Darcy, congratulations. Um, It was really cool. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> applause, applause. Um, Sean and did, I Did we mention that last episode or not? I think we may have I don't remember if we did And honestly it's was late on a holiday weekend I thought god damn it Darcy deserves another round of applause If nothing else By god um, We had Darcy and Troy on a while back From Cypher Speak They talked to us about the Cypher system They're super cool people to have on the show And uh, that's just awesome So if nothing else Darcy from Sean and I To you Congratulations once again the other one I have is Glenn Seal, aka Monkey Blood Design, on uh, the G pluses, has a Kickstarter going out there. Um, the Midderlands, an OSR mini setting and bestiary, he, uh, defined as a green hue dark fantasy, old school mini setting and bestiary set in a twisted Middle England. Um, I follow, I follow Monkey Blood on, uh, I follow Glenn, I should say, on uh, G plus. Super cool dude make some really just great art, a really good layout. And he got a hold of me and said, Hey Brett, if you'd be willing to take a look at my stuff, could you, you know, just let me know what you think and so on. And I started looking at it over the weekend while I was up at my family's cabin with my kids and my wife and goddamn, damn, that's some cool looking stuff. So the Kickstarter is still going. Um, he's got 27 days to go as of today, July 3rd, um, link in the show notes, go out there, take a look at it. I think it's pretty damn sweet. And, uh, you know what? I think I'm gonna to have to throw a few shekels at this guy. This looks pretty sweet to me. I like this stuff. It scratches the old OSR itch, and he's a good artist, and he does really great work here. I think it's good stuff. So take a look, see what you. If you like it, throw him a few bones.
0: Right. Uh, how a secret criminal language emerged from the underworld. Dictionaries made thieves' cant accessible for the masses in the 16th through 19th centuries. Written by Natalie Zarelli. So, if you want a little bit about Thieves' Count, there you go.
1: Awesome. I like that.
0: Uh, number two draw a figure in under five minutes. So, aspiring artists or s- character sketchers, get the most out of your life drawing sessions with these 10 simple tips for quick figures by Chris Legacy. Legacy? Legacy? Legaspi.
1: Legaspi, I would say. Very nice. Legaspi. Yeah.
0: Link to the show notes. And the last one for me this week, using open source tools to play D&D. How a dungeon master generates ideas, makes maps, and more for this face-to-face game by Joe Klein. Very cool. Yeah. There's mine
1: for the week. We've got three from listeners. <gasps> what? Yeah. So, Ezra Rocha shared uh, Jason Petrie's post about Hellscape's Kickstarter. It's post-apocalyptic post survival for D&D 5e by Scrivend LLC and uh, fund, uh, funded and ends August 1st. So, it is funded and it's ending August 1st, 2017. So, uh, link to, in the show notes to Hellscapes. Take a look at that.
0: So, if you get this show after August, then you'll just want to go and buy it probably on drive-thru.
1: Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought about that. Yes. Yes. Check it out. Stefan Dragonspawn pointed us to Cattle Rock. So this was kind of a, a late end. Down,
0: in, ca- hey, down cattle in Cattle Rock.
1: rock. Um, so,
0: down in Cattle Rock. Cattle
1: Rock. Although this is not, un- <laughs> unlike the happy Jim Henson's Fraggle Rock, this is Cattle <laughs> Rock is a site of large annual animal sacrifices, goat sheep and the opponent. uh ep- Eponymous cattle by local satanic groups during the eighties and early nineties. City of Belleville, <laughs> Kingston, Ontario. It's uh wow. You know that that whole happy Canada Day. You crazy, sick bastards up there. What are you doing? Then again, we're from Wisconsin. We've got Ed Gein and uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. So what am I saying? Ah, uh, anyway, good stuff. As Stefan pointed out in our Google Plus page, that is, it's one of those things where you read that, and if that doesn't scream, you know, Delta Green, Call of Cthulhu, some sort of a modern occult thing, it's its definitely there. If you're a gamer, you know how to make something of that. Go do it. And Mo Toussnow brought The Nightmare Below, a dungeon crawl role-playing game, to our attention. So, let's take a look here. do 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 The Night Below dungeon crawl role-playing game um, looks pretty cool. Sean, do you know anything about this one? This is new to me. This is neat, though. I, uh, I don't know much about
0: it, but it is um, it is something interesting. And I don't know who's putting this out. I don't know if I can find the author on this thing. Can't find it. All right. I don't see it on there. It's on Google Drive. Oh, I'm sorry. Artwork, Layout, Writing, and Design by Emmanuel Galetto. Nice. Yes. So good. thanks for Emmanuel doing that and mo bringing it to our attention so a little bit of osr stuff going on that you can take a look at it's interesting well good stuff man yeah it is good stuff man it
1: is you know what we're gonna do next step next show here i'm gonna catch it
0: what are we gonna talk about next show
1: brett next show michael drescher wrote us back long time listener to the show awesome dude michael
0: drescher yeah, he's a fellow Wisconsin guy right up north, you. right up north down in
1: our sock. Yeah, in socks. He's like a half hour from my place. Anyhow, he was talking about um, this kind of, you know, when do you pull the plug on mysteries intrigue? You know, it's kind of that when does the player mystery need to end in the game? Sean and I have been, we've been bantering about this for Christ for uh, about 140, it'll be 148 episodes when you hear it next. Uh, <laughs> but about the concept of keeping the game mysterious and interesting. And all that stuff. And I think there is a point, though, when you're doing that stuff, when you kind of have to pull back the curtain and say, look, it's the great and powerful Oz is just an old bald man. Um, but anyway, that's what we're going to talk about. When does the player mystery need to end next episode?
0: Yeah, right. Excellent. Well, we hope that everybody had a good 4th of July 2017. Absolutely. Uh, this we we we're not stopping. We're putting it down. We're dropping it on the holiday.
1: Absolutely, there's no stopping us. Because if there, because if there was, somebody would have. <laughs> some, I think there's people that are trying. Yeah. I don't know. Well, once the that's why we got Alex Cammer, lawyer, and <laughs> as a friend. So that keeps us alive.
0: Drive a dedication. All right. Well, hey, thanks for joining us. Thank you for the the random encounter thanks for the feedback thanks for the emails thanks for listening thanks for letting people know about this craziness i'm one of your hosts sean and i'm
1: brett good night and good game and all
0: this episode of gaming NBS brought to you with the help from the following patrons christian sexy voice serrano kevin lovecraft joe swick brett's biggest fan jeff Rademacher Forrest to gary mark anthony benedetti Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Knights of the Night Crew, Palladian, Remy Billado, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Wayne Humphrey, James Carpio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Eric Tankar, Brandon Barnes, Mark Tosaka, Tim Shorts, Dan LaValley, C.W. Mellencamp, Craig Huber, Eli Kurtz, Lost Sailor, Graham Miner, Todd McGowan, Roger Brasslett, Misdirected Mark Productions, Old School DM, Jason, Christopher Gray, Finnolf, Ray Otis, Merkel Froelich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Crapper, Michael Parker, Jim Fitzpatrick, Michael Drescher, Wiss Static, Alexander Auerbach, Rodrigo Beowulf, Neil Benson, Ron Blessing, Evan harrison Cass, Chris Steele, Eric Hoff Hoffman, Jared Rasher, Stefan Dragonspawn, and Soldiers of Misfortune RPG. For the cost of a coffee shop coffee, you can support the show for an entire month. Head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you, Patrons. Thank you, listeners. This This has been a Litterbox Litterbox Studio production. (laughs)